Hope you get all the info for that. But you ready for the word this morning? All right, stand up with me as we honor the word of God and welcome our senior pastor, Jonathan Wilson, to the platform. Thank you, Jacob. How many of you love Jacob's mustache? I don't know. I, it, I thought it was Movember, not October. No, oh, anyway, doesn't really go, does it? Um, all right, let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your amazing love and grace. Thank you for each and every person here, for those who are watching online, for those who will listen in either to the podcast or to the video in the coming days and weeks and months. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, you know what's happening in our lives right now. May you encourage. May you cause faith to rise in our hearts. And Lord, may we, as we rebuild the walls in our lives that need to be rebuilt to build the strength that you desire for each one of us to walk in, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to build for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Give our worship team a hand. Let's thank them. Um, hey, did we have an excerpt from Conversations Over Coffee that we were going to play? Just give me a wave. If we, we do, if we don't, then that's fine. No problem. We do. Okay, check this out on the screens. So this is uh, one our, our podcast from this week featuring William Itson, the one and only. Been all about in this season, just kind of mixing it all up, messing things up for us to say, okay, now let's restructure. Don't resume. Yeah. Restructure. Yeah. Well, there you have it. If you haven't seen that, we have that uh, podcast available, or you can get it on Spotify or YouTube. And it's a conversation that uh, I had with William Itson. It's episode two. Uh, we've got some other ones coming up. The next one is part two of what was on this week. And we have Bijou Thampi coming into town uh, from India, who's going to be staying with us in our home. Uh, so I better brush up on my curry skills. Um, and uh, he's going to be coming. And, of course, Vision Rescue. He started Vision Rescue in India. He's just such a great, great friend of ours. And uh, I wonder, uh, we're going to film him as well. Unfortunately, he can't be with us on a Sunday. Uh, apparently, he told me that the uh, U.S. government will only let Indians in as of the 7th or the 8th of November. And Australia's opened up as well, uh, which is amazing. We can go back to Australia. Uh, don't have to quarantine for two days in a hotel of their choice at our expense. And uh, so that's all good. So things are, things are opening up and things are changing. Um, one of the things I am really excited about uh, that is a ministry that we have in our church is our um, grief share ministry. And I want Robin Duma to come to the platform now because I know that Jacob mentioned it, but I want her to share something because it really uh, resonates and syncs with 
what we're talking about when we're talking about rebuilding any walls that have been broken down. And uh, Robin, um, I don't know, I don't want to kind of tell your story for you, but Robin uh, uh, lost her daughter, how many years ago is it now? Eight years ago in a, in, a, uh, in, a, in a tragic accident. She was a part of our church, been with us from the very beginning. And, and uh, Robin went through the process of, of, of really uh, of navigating the grief of that loss. And uh, one of the things that, uh, and I, I, in this whole process, we were, we, were, we were talking and we were communicating and I was praying with you. And I, you know, I didn't say this straight away, but I did say this to you. After some time, I said, you know that God is going to use this tragedy to help other people. And it was hard because at the time, you were just trying to navigate how the Holy Spirit was helping you, and you were finding resources to help you. But here we are eight years later, and that very thing has happened. And Robin uh, hosts a grief share program, which she's going to share a little bit about now. But it really uh, resonates with what we're talking about because today's uh, actually, on today's uh, podcast, uh, on today's uh, kind of, what do we call it? On our focus on 52 days. Every day we have a a uh, a quote or a principle. And today's principle is that God can use the rubble of our past to help rebuild our future. And this is a great story of how God used the ru- that ruinous moment to help rebuild not only your life, but the lives of other people. So tell us about what's coming up. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor Jonathan. Yeah, so November 13th, we'll be meeting a half a day seminar. Um, It's called Surviving the Holidays. I want to call it Joy for the Holidays, but I didn't write the curriculum. Um, But it's through Grief Share. It's wonderful. And so, you know, if you know anyone, even in the last two weeks, I was sharing in a meeting earlier today, four people that that go to our our church have contacted me because they know somebody who has had a recent loss. And I know it's not the topic of conversation for everybody, but I'll tell you what, you can send them my way because it is a top of a conversation for me, and I will come alongside them. That, that, that little session that day is really geared to bring joy and peace and comfort and hope during the holiday season, and there's amazing strategies that this curriculum has to help people not wait forever to decide what they might do for the holidays, but to think ahead. And trust me, I know the holidays can come and barrel you over, but they don't have to come and barrel you over if you have a, a company of people to come alongside of you and, of course, our loving, you know, God and Holy Spirit. So I just want to say, you know, even someone recently shared with me a very serious loss of something that was, you know, um, just very, very recent tragedy, and I'm hoping that they're going to come along to this seminar. So um, just, you know, anyone that you know, you can sign up on our website. You can send them my way. You can send them a link. I've sent several of you a link, um, and I love that that's what our uh, our verse was today about using the ruins and the rubble of our past. Of course, I would never consider anything about my life with my child a rubble or a ruin, right? But th- what the enemy wanted to use to really destroy m- my earth days left, right? Um, just focusing on him and lifting my eyes to him and allowing God. And he did used to ask me every year, are you ready? And every year I said, no, no, no. And then one year he asked and yes flew out and I was shocked. I said, yes, I'm ready. And so, um, yeah, anyone you know, just send them our way. We'll be happy to come alongside of them and help them find hope in the holiday season and find that peace and comfort that they're going to need. So 
Thank you guys for letting me share for a moment. Awesome. I have one. Thank you, Robin. That's such a, such a, great, uh, such a great story. And God can use things, painful experiences in our lives to help others. Um, uh, we don't have to live. I did a series many years ago in Australia called uh, Marked for Life. We don't have to live scarred for life, but those scars leave a mark that won't necessarily go away, but God can use. Uh, there's a story to tell that you can share with someone about the pain that you've been through and how you navigated that. So I'm excited about that as we continue to do it. All right, how good was that um, video of Michael Elman? That was so good. You're a film star, Michael. Um, well, I want to continue with our series, um, 52 Days. We're into day 27 of our 52 days, which is we're past the halfway mark. Uh, yesterday, 26 days was halfway through, and there are five things that we're doing, five building blocks as we rebuild spirit, soul, and body. First of all is reading our Bible 15 minutes a day. Um, the second one is praying 15 minutes a day, spending 15 minutes in God's presence. doesn't have to be all at once, but 15 minutes a day. Third one is being in church for the seven weekends of that 52 days. The fourth one is pick a diet and stick to it. No Snickers bars. Um, pick a diet, stick to it, drink plenty of water, water. And last of all, exercise 20 minutes a day. And you know, that sounds really easy, but we all know how hard it is to do all five of those every day. I want to encourage you, if you haven't got a Bible, well, I'm sure you have a Bible. <laughs> if you don't know where your Bible is, um, you're probably not reading it. But if you want to read a different translation, this one, the story, is a, just such a great translation. Excerpts from the New International Version. So it's not paraphrased, it's actual excerpts, but it's the whole Bible in a story. And I know if you grab one of those out in the foyer, I think at the Connect Zone, you can get one and it'll help you as well. You can make yourself a nice flat white coffee while you read it and drink that while you read it. All right, 52 days. Here's the story. The title of my message is The Fight for the Wall. Thank you for your underwhelming response. <laughs> The fight for the wall. Okay, here's the story. Uh, the nation of Israel uh, was taken into captivity. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed 586 BC by the Babylonians. The temple was broken down. The walls were broken down. The city was burned with fire. And the Israelites, the, all those who lived in Judah, were taken into captivity for 70 years. And during that time, the Babylonians were defeated uh, by the Persians. And the new Persian emperor Cyrus, after 70 years, said to the Jews, anyone who wants to go back can go back. And interestingly, uh, 50,000 of them went back. Of the hundreds of thousands that were there, only 50,000 went back. The rest of them were actually not so much in captivity. They had assimilated into Babylonian life and Babylonian culture. And they preferred the life of Babylon to going back to the hardship of being in the 
in the city of God, in Jerusalem, where their heritage was. So 70 years, 50,000 of them go back with Zerubbabel. They rebuild the temple. Ezra comes back with a few people, reestablishes the worship. And then approximately 70 years after that, in 444 or 445 BC, Nehemiah comes back and he rebuilds the city walls and he does it in 52 days. An incredible feat, two and a half miles of walls, 40 feet high, eight feet thick. He rebuilds in 52 days. These walls had been broken down for 140 years. And yet he rebuilt them in 52 days. And the interesting thing is that the generations who had lived between the breaking down of the walls and Nehemiah coming back... uh, the, the generations that had lived in Jerusalem, some in the city and some in the surrounding areas, they got used to living with a city that was in ruins. And you know, the reality is that all of us can live in life with parts of our lives in ruins, and we become used to things that ought not to be. We become used to living with Areas of our lives, whether it's in our spirit, whether it's in our soul, whether it's physically, that we need to attend to, that we need to rebuild. But because we've just, it's been like that for a while, we just get used to it. And yet God wants to rebuild those ruins. There's a photograph that I want to put up on the screen here that was a photograph that my sister posted on a Uh, Instagram post a week or so ago, and it was a photograph that was very, for me, it was very evocative. It brought back a lot of memories because this photograph is a photograph of uh, me on the right there with that kind of vacant look on my face uh, as a four-year-old. You know, I'm looking, I don't know what I'm thinking, but anyway... (laughs) Uh, then my mother is behind me, uh, and then my sister, with a funny look on her face, is my older sister next to her, my uh, nanny, whose name was Teresa. Uh, she was a Spanish, she was Spanish, didn't like me uh, at all, was very mean to me, uh, and I won't go into all the stories. And then my younger sister, it was her second birthday, who's on the left. But as she posted that, I thought about it because it made me think, here we were, this photograph was taken in Baalbek, which is a city north in the northeast of, in the Bekaa Valley in Lebanon. We were living in Lebanon at the time, and uh, it's a temple to Baal. If you read your Bibles, you'll read that the Israelites were always being tempted to worship the god of the Canaanites, the primary god of the Canaanites was Baal. And so here we were in this temple dedicated to Baal in the ruins of the temple. And no doubt we were, my sister wasn't, she was playing in the ruins. And, and it made me think about our life at the time because I had no idea of the events that were about to take place because within a year, my, my family was in a sense, uh, the, the fabric or structure of our family was completely uh, decimated and broken down. My parents separated. My mother went back to, to England. My grandmother came out from England to be with us in, in Beirut, in Lebanon. 
And that was the end of my parents' marriage. And I had no idea at this time, we had no idea that we were just months away from experiencing what potentially was a ruinous event that could scar us and impact us for the rest of our lives. And I thought about it how in all my years, and I'm a little older than I am now, there are still things in my life that I have to deal with and address. I was going to say on a daily basis, but on a regular basis, that I am still rebuilding and making sure and fighting that I don't allow certain emotions and things to rise up in me and and rule my life. And so, I've had to rebuild my life over the years. I thank God for the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because when I came to Jesus, when when I received Jesus as my Savior, my life was transformed. But God transforms our lives from the inside out. He begins with our spirit. We still got to deal with our minds. We still got to deal with our emotions. We still got to deal with all of those areas of our lives. And God wants us to, our lives to be led from our spirit, which is why our 52 days of building is not body, soul, and spirit. It's spirit, soul, and body in that order. Because as we rebuild our spirit life, it impacts every other area of our lives. And so my spirit life was transformed when Jesus touched my spirit and I came alive, but I still have to work on my mind. Anyone have a problem with their mind? Don't lift your hand. Anyone have to deal with their mind? Their, their, anyone, ever, anyone have to deal with their emotions? Anyone have to deal with things maybe that go all the way back to our childhood that still maybe don't rule us, but we still need to be aware That's a point where I'm vulnerable. That's a point that I need to be aware of. And so we're all in that process because none of us ever reach that place of perfection. So here we are. We don't have, there are things that have happened in our lives. There are walls that have been broken down. The enemy has tried to maybe bring aspects of our lives to ruin. He's in our spirit. Life, he tries to destroy our connection with God. In our soul, he tries to break us down emotionally, mentally, to break our will so that we submit to all that's happening around about us rather than having authority in our lives, spirit, soul, and body. He tries to break down the structure of our moral code, the absolutes of God's word that are forever being broken down around us. He tries, when it comes to our body, to afflict our health and to Uh, with sickness and with disease. And so the story of Zerubbabel uh, begins uh, with the rebuilding of the temple, but Nehemiah rebuilds those city walls. And I want to talk about the fight for the wall because the reality is every one of us has to fight to rebuild the walls. It's not easy. There's going to be a battle. We have to deal with our spirit. We have to fight with our uh, our soul, and, and, and we have to fight physically as well in order to fulfill that purpose of God in rebuilding our lives so that we can be continually transformed into His image. And so, we are under no illusion 
You are a threat to the enemy. Some of you are looking around thinking, are you talking about me or the person behind me? No, I'm talking to you. You are a threat to the enemy. So, well, what kind of threat can I be to the enemy? He hates what you're doing. He hates it when you build your life to become more like Jesus, to be conformed to his image. And so this story is such an amazing allegory or such an amazing picture of the work of God in rebuilding us individually, but also rebuilding us corporately. And at this particular moment of time, when after 18 months of just about every structure in our lives being challenged and changed and impacted by all that has taken place, it is especially relevant to how we can rebuild individually, how we can rebuild as a community, how can we can rebuild as a church. So we're, we're, a, we're a threat to the enemy. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 10, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. The enemy is deeply disturbed. So for every strategy that we have to rebuild, the enemy is going to have a strategy to tear down. Last week I talked, you can check the, the, the uh, podcast or the video. Last week I talked about five things that the enemy will try to do to, to, uh, to come against us, try to do to tear us down. Number one was mockery and ridicule. You ever heard that voice mocking you and ridiculing you in your head? That's the enemy. Who do you think you are? It's ridiculous. Do you think you can make a difference in your world? Secondly, accusation. Um, Accusation. Ever had that voice in your head accusing you, reminding you of all your failings? Who do you think you are to be able to give advice to other people? Take a look at your life. Maybe I'm the only one, sorry. Um, uh, We all face that. That's the accusation of the enemy. He's the accuser of the brethren. Intimidation, where we feel intimidated. I don't don't want to push through because I'm afraid of what will happen what will happen. And the enemy's telling me, this is what's going to happen to you. This is where, where you're going. Discouragement. Anyone ever face discouragement? Discouragement is such a real tool that the enemy uses. Compromise, where he wants us to come down from the wall and talk with him and kind of make friends and let's all, we're all in this together. Compromise, distraction. Distraction from the task of building. So, three things I want to highlight today as we talk about this. First of all, we must fight and build at the same time. We must fight and build at the same time. Nehemiah 4, 7 to 12. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the word was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were overjoyed. No, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. 
But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We'll never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed area. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Normally, builders don't build and fight at the same time. Builders build and soldiers fight. Builders say, we will build, you fight. But Nehemiah and his team of builders had to build and fight at the same time. And this is so important that we understand this because it's such an, a powerful picture of how we, as followers of Christ, need to live our lives. We need to be building, but understand that at the same time that we're building, we're going to have to fight. The struggle is real. The Snickers bars are calling from the fridge. All of the social media and all of the me, oh, who's sick and tired of listening to the TV and all the commentary, all that stuff that keeps wearing you down until before long people are just kind of accepting what's being said. Anyway, not getting on to that. But you know what I'm talking about. The struggle is real. And so we have to fight. And this is what Nehemiah said. He said, Nehemiah 4.14, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I've got news for you today. Whether you're here in person or whether you're watching online, we have to fight we have to fight for our brothers, we have to fight for our sons, we have to fight for our daughters, we have to fight for our wives, we have to fight for our husbands, and we have to fight for our homes. We have to fight to build the church of Jesus Christ. We can't, being a Christian is not a passive experience. Sadly, too many people who uh, feel secure in their Christianity have lost the revelation that we actually have to fight. Like I said, if, if, you're not, if you're not taking ground, someone else is taking ground. If you're, not fish, if, if you're not swimming like a fish against the current, you're going to be swept along by the current. And so we have to fight. Paul said to his son in the faith, Timothy, I have fought at the end of his life. I fought the fight, the good fight. You know, I want to hear, I, I want to be able to say that. As I approach the end of my life like Paul did, I want to be able to say I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And then he says to Timothy, prior to that, as he encourages him, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
he's telling him, we've got to fight. While we're building, we've got to fight. I'll talk a little bit about how, what kind of areas we have to fight in. I love this. Matthew Henry wrote this. Matthew Henry was a commentator, I believe, from the couple of hundred years ago. I think it was the 18th century. He said, we must watch always against spiritual enemies and not expect that our warfare will be over till our work is ended. There's the encouraging word for all of us. We're in a battle till the day we take our last breath. We're in a battle. But God is for us. And he goes on to say, the word of God is the sword of the Spirit, which we ought to have always in at hand and never to have to seek for it either in our labors or in our conflicts as Christians. Every true Christian is both a laborer and a soldier, working with one hand and fighting with the other. Working with one hand or laboring with one hand and fighting with the other. And so there's this picture of how they built the walls. They built the walls with a, a, uh, a sword in one hand and tools in the other. Those tools were probably somewhat like crowbars or I, I don't know. I was talking to Di about this, about were they trowels? Because somewhere there was, I, I had read somewhere about trowels, but they didn't use cement so much in those days because the weight of the stones kept the, 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 the stones in place. Um, and, and generally they built without cement in those days, but crowbars or whatever, chisels or whatever tools they were using to fit the stones together and a sword in the other. Nehemiah 4, those who built the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at the construction and with the other they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. What a picture that is of how we have to live our lives as we rebuild the walls of our lives, whether it's our spiritual life, whether it's our soul, our mind, our emotions, our will, or whether it's our physical life. It's going to be a fight to build. Now, we've already talked about how we have a spiritual enemy. In case you don't know, you have a spiritual enemy. His name is the devil, Satan, the adversary, the one who fell from heaven, who was Lucifer, the, 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 the archangel or the angel that God had put in charge of all the worship in heaven, and they fell from heaven, which is why you've always got to watch the worship team. That's where it all began. So we face a spiritual enemy. We're fighting the enemy. And he's going to do everything he can to frustrate us and to stop our building. And I talked a little bit about this. Paul, Ephesians 6, he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. But then he goes on to say that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they are spiritual, even to the pulling down of strongholds. I, I love this in the message version. I'm going to read this. The world is unprincipled. 
It's dog-eat-dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. But we don't live or fight our battles that way, never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. He's talking about the spirit of the world that uh, the enemy is feeding and the enemy is, is fueling and the enemy is behind. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. What an awesome passage that is. And so we've, he, he's doing everything we, he can, but God has given us spiritual, uh, he has given us spiritual weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not physical, they are spiritual. And so we have to fight. We fight an enemy that's against us. But how many of you know, we, one of the biggest battles that we face is not all necessarily the enemy without, it's the enemy within. I don't want to get into, and I've told, I, I'm not going to, but you, ne- uh, you, okay, let me give this example. Any culture in history that has grown and had huge influence and maybe dominated or ruled the world at any time, the enemy that defeated them was never the enemy without. It was always the enemy within. Read about the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Read about any empire in history. They have never been defeated from the enemy without. They've been defeated from the enemy within. You know, the biggest challenge to the church of Jesus Christ is not the enemy without, it's the enemy within. It's all of the followers of Christ who are not focusing on defeating the enemy out there, but squabbling about differences of opinion, about offense, gossip, slander, etc., 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 ad nauseum, etc., that's the truth. Our biggest enemy is not the enemy without. It's the enemy within. And now I'm going to talk about you and me. My biggest enemy is me. Your biggest enemy is you. It's the way we think. It's the way we allow our, motion, our emotions to run away with... How many of you know how easy it is to let your emotions run away with you. It's the enemy within. And so I have to deal with my thinking. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, that verse from the message version in the New King James Version, which is the version that Jesus read, says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty for the pulling down, for pulling down strongholds casting down every argument and high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, bringing down every thought into captivity, into obedience to Christ. So here's the thought. 
Um, we can take every thought into captivity, into obedience to Christ. And what Paul is talking about is he's talking about thoughts. Um, pr- thoughts that are, are dominant thoughts in our lives. Now, if I was to pause and stop there, every single person has had and has dominant thoughts that they have to take control over. Whether it's being self-conscious, whether it's feeling inferior, whether it's feeling not worthy, whether it's to do with a mental struggle, uh, a pattern of thinking, negativity, whatever it may be, every one of us has dominant thoughts that can rule our lives. And that's what Paul is talking about. Thoughts that exalt themselves. Thoughts that take hold of our lives. And he uses the word a stronghold. And the Greek word for stronghold is ouroma. I'm sure I didn't pronounce that correctly. And it means a fortress, a citadel, or a prison. There are thoughts that you have that maybe, and thoughts that we've all had that we need to release from the prison of our minds, the strongholds. And God and Paul is talking about our thinking and how we can strengthen, we can be set free from, we can cast down, we can literally you know, take that thought and cast it down in the name of Jesus because it's exalting itself above what God says about you. You say, you say, I am not worthy to do that. God says, you are worthy. And every time I say I am not worthy, I'm exalting that thought above the Word of God, the Word of Christ. He says, you are worthy because I died for you. And whatever that may be, whether it's the thought that you are a failure or the thought that you will never be able to achieve the things that are in your heart and in your spirit, those thoughts can can become imprisoned in our mind and imprison our minds at the same time. And so Paul says, we've got to deal with those things. We've got to deal with those issues. We've got to fight. We've got to we got to fight to overcome those and then rebuild our lives and rebuild our minds with the Word of God so that we are mentally strong, so that we are mentally able to handle the pressures, the issues, the challenges, the bomb, constant bombardment that everyone is under, constantly bombarded. Our minds are being constantly bombarded. And we need mental strength. And that strength comes through the building, the sword of the Spirit, and the building of the principles in God's Word into our life so that we're in a place of strength. And then, of course, when it comes to our emotions and it comes to our will, that we have to fight not to be governed by our emotions. The fruit of the Spirit, nine fruits of the Spirit. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control, the last but not least. Self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. So that we are rebuilding, just like Nehemiah hung the gates of the city. Gates spoke of authority. We need to have authority over our spirit, over our emotions, over our will. Proverbs, book of Proverbs says that like a city whose walls are broken down is a person who has no rule over their spirit. And then, of course, the flesh. Well, I don't need to highlight the flesh because the flesh highlights itself in our life every single day. And Paul says that the flesh wars against the spirit. Galatians 5.17, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Paul is talking about the war of our flesh that wars against the spirit. The spirit and our flesh are always warring together. And so the battle that we face, the battle within, God enables us and He gives us the ability. And I love what Nehemiah said. You fight, uh, remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And remember that the Lord is great and glorious. I love what Paul said. If God be for us, who can be against us? Let's rebuild with a sword in one hand and our building tools in the other, knowing that the fight that we fight is real, but God is the one who's going to give us the victory. I will get the worship team to come. Give the Lord a big hand of praise as the worship team come. Would you stand with me? And we're going to worship God together for a few more moments. Next week, I want to continue and talk about some of the other things that we can learn about how to fight that good fight. How many of you know that God does not want us to fight that battle on our own? He wants us to fight shoulder to shoulder. He wants us to be here for each other. We're going to worship God, but before we do that, can I encourage you just to close your eyes and open your heart and your spirit. Lord, as we, as we close in these moments, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to people today, that you would encourage us. Holy Spirit, that you would move in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, cause our hearts to be open, to be receptive, to be soft. And Lord, may you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, encourage us. Give us strength for those who are discouraged, for those who may be feeling overwhelmed, for those, Lord, who, who don't have that strength and don't feel that strength. May you be our strength, Holy Spirit. May we take your word 
and may it build our lives. But Holy Spirit, may you breathe your breath of life and your strength and your vitality into each and every one of us. And today, Lord, we worship you and we honor you and we ask you to come, Holy Spirit, as we worship you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Let's worship together.